I'm no 
Hello, Return Church. This is Pastor Bill again coming to you from my home due to the coronavirus crisis. This is the fourth Sunday in a row that we've done this, and uh, Liz and I are starting to miss you guys. We wish we could meet in person in our own building, that we could see your faces and your smiles. But uh, as we all know, we've been watching the news, that's not possible right now. So until then, we will continue to communicate with you digitally through our social media channels and our webpage. Uh, I have a big announcement. This next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and Pastor Chad Hayes will be delivering the Easter Sunday message. As you all know, Chad and his wife Rachel and their family are gonna move down as soon as uh, the coronavirus crisis has subsided. They'll be moving down probably sometime in May. And we're just thrilled to have Chad and Rachel join us at Return. We're looking for God to do big things through their life and through their ministry. So this coming Sunday, tell all your friends that Pastor Chad will be sharing the Easter Sunday message here at Return Church over the social media channels. Today we're going to go to Psalm 63. It's one of my favorite psalms in the whole Bible. I've meditated on this psalm for many, many years. In the first eight verses of it, we find seven components to a relationship with God. All, all seven of these are very important in our relationship with God. It's spiritual thirst, believing, gratitude, satisfaction, communion, protection, and union or unity. So these seven components we'll look at in these eight verses of Psalm 63. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And when you read your Bible, just remember that the author of this book is God. This is God's way of communicating to you. He wants you to understand him. He wants you to understand yourself. He wants you to understand the principles that make the universe go round. You know, when we read the Bible, we need to understand this is the inerrant, infallible, indestructible, eternal word of God, the living word of God. And uh, not just a dead letter, but when the Holy Spirit quickens it to our hearts, it burns in our hearts and our minds and changes our life forever. See, we don't really need more information. We need revelation. And I don't want to just learn about God. I want to experience God. So let's approach the Word of God with an open heart today and trust Him to feed us. I'm reading out the English Standard Version, Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Wow. You know, this is dealing with spiritual thirst. And we always talk about we want revival. We've always believed that God would use Return Church to bring revival to our community. But revival all begins with the hunger or a thirst for God. 
you know, do people really long for God? Uh, you read in verse one, David said, oh God, you are my God, earnestly will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So the analogy is that you're in the desert and there's no water anywhere. And until you've experienced thirst like that, you might not understand this metaphor. But when you're, you're needing water and you can't find water and it's hot and dry, there's a thirst that will drive you above all other needs you have. And David had a thirst for God like this, just a longing. Uh, he, David's whole life was a torrent of spiritual desire. From a little boy, as a shepherd, you read all the Psalms he wrote, you read about his life. David knew God perhaps better than anyone in his day. He was even called a man after God's own heart. But David had this longing and thirst to even know him in a greater way. Psalms 42.1 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You see, to know God or to have found God and to still pursue him is a soul's paradox of love. To have found him, yet you're still pursuing him. To know him, but yet you still want to get to know him better. To love him, but yet you realize you don't love him nearly like you desire to love him. So, you know, David showed us in this psalm, he starts it out with this tremendous spiritual thirst component in his relationship. What David had was a thirst and a hunger just for God himself, not for what God can do for you, but just for God. Uh, Moses had a great relationship with God, yet he prayed, Lord, show me your glory. I want to I wanna see your glory. I want to I wanna look at your face. And God said, of course, you can't look at my face and live, Moses, but I'll show you, I'll show you my goodness. And God's uh, glory radiant was so great on Moses that Moses' face shone. He had to put a veil over his face when he went down to the bottom of the mountain to see the people. So God waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. He, he wants a relationship with us. He's just looking for some spiritual hunger or some spiritual thirst. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, had a hunger like David. He had a tremendous desire. And in Philippians 3, you see these real famous verses. He probably knew God better than anybody, but he had this desire to know him in a greater way. Philippians 3, 8, a doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul was saved, but he was trying to win Christ. He was trying to win the heart of Christ. He was trying to win this deeper, more intimate relationship with God. Verse 10, that I may know him. Well, he knew him, but he wanted to really know him that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. That's in the King James, a little hard to understand, 
But Paul, you see, had this tremendous desire to know the Lord in a greater way. He said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Or in the NAS, uh, New American Standard Bible, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It all starts with the hunger. Revival starts with the hunger. If you, if you, if you really want what you say you want in God, you need to start here and start praying, Lord, give me a hunger. Give me a thirst just for you. I've thirsted and I've longed for all the things of the world for so many years. Lord, remove all that and just give me a thirst and a hunger for you. Understand that God's a person. He's waiting to be wanted. Don't forget he thinks, he feels, he suffers, he wills, he enjoys, he loves, he desires. God's a person. Just like you're a person, God's a person and he, he waits to be wanted. What he wants more than anything is for you to have a hunger and a thirst for him. The continuous interchange of love and thought between God and the soul of the redeemed man is the throbbing heart of New Testament Christianity. I'll say that again. The continuous interchange of love and thought between God and the soul of the redeemed man is the throbbing heart of New Testament Christianity. Have you ever just stopped to realize that the entire purpose of your existence on earth right now is for you to develop and grow in this relationship with God, in an intimate personal relationship with God? Even in the midst of the coronavirus crisis, even in the midst of your whole world being turned upside down, what you're really here on this earth for is for you to enjoy this personal, intimate relationship with God himself. Ask God to give you a hunger. Ask God to give you a thirst. For nobody comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So on one side, yeah, you've got a hunger. The other side, you can't do it without God's help. So he's waiting to be wanted. He's a person. So just start asking, Lord, draw my heart deeper. Stir up a hunger and a thirst inside of me that will make me want you as much as you want me. When a man has, a man has it all when God's his treasure. You know, your, your net worth, your financial statements, never gonna satisfy you at all. But when God is your treasure and you have a relationship with him, then you have it all. There's nothing more to want. All right, we gotta hurry. Verse two, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. When you see these words like looking and beholding and gazing, uh, these are synonymous with faith or believing. And uh, we see this, of course, in John 3, 15 and 16, or starting with verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you remember the story with Moses, there was a lot of serpents in the wilderness and they were biting the people because the people had been rebellious toward God. And God told Moses to make a brazen serpent 
and he took the brazen serpent and he lifted it up. And when the people looked upon the serpent, they were healed. And then Jesus is saying here in John 3, just like Moses held up the brazen serpent, the Son of Man will be lifted up on a cross. And everyone that looks upon him or gazes upon him, beholds him, you know, that everyone that believeth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So looking, beholding, is believing in the Bible. And really what faith is, when you want to try to find the purest definition of faith, faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. Faith, the gaze, the looking, the beholding of a soul upon a saving God. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So to have a relationship with God, it all begins with faith. It all begins with believing. It actually begins with the spiritual hunger. And once God gives you that spiritual hunger and you start longing for God, then you learn how to believe God, trust God, take God at his word. Psalm 34, 5, they looked to him and were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. I love that verse. They just looked at God and it made them radiant. Psalms 123, 1 and 2, to you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he's gracious unto us. I love that. Just We need the picture of just looking at his face. You know, I can see a child grabbing the face of mom and dad and turning the face to the child. You know, it'd be like touching the face of God and, and turning his face, looking into his eyes. God wants us to gaze at him. Okay, my phone rang while we were filming, but we've uh, started over and we fixed that problem. So we're going to keep moving on. You know, we're not as professionals. We like to be. In fact, I saw some the other day where overnight 300,000 pastors wives in the United States became cameramen. So, uh, from the coronavirus, every pastor in the country is trying to do this. So we're doing the best we can. I think this is our fifth or sixth take. Uh, today trying to get this lesson filmed, but we're we're getting it done, and uh, I pray it's a blessing to you. We were talking about looking and believing, beholding, uh, the second component of this psalm. I like the little chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his wonderful grace. So look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Keep your eyes single upon him. This is what faith is, the gaze of, a, of the soul of man upon a saving God. <clears throat> Looking is believing. Faith is reckoning upon reality, stepping out into the unseen reality and believing it to be true. This is faith, to look at him, to look at the Father through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to put a face on the Father. We don't have to look at the unseen, mysterious, unknown God. We look right into the eyes of Jesus and Jesus takes us to the Father and connects us to the Father. Okay, verse three, because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. 
So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. The NLT says it this way. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. God's love is better than our life. Without his love, our life would have no meaning, no purpose, no value. To know how much he loves us is actually the chief thing that we must learn. I always said, I think of the judgment seat, God's gonna look at us and say, did you ever really know how much I loved you? Did, did you ever know how much I loved you? This, for, for to know this it would change everything about our life. God's love is farther than the East is from the West. God's love never gives up, never lets us down, never forsakes us, never breaks a promise, never stops loving us. You know, God's love is amazing. We read in Romans 8, verse 38, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So a revelation of God's love will turn any heart into a grateful heart. And this is the, the component we find here in verse three is gratitude. Because of your unfailing love, your steadfast love is better than my life, then I'm gonna praise you. And then he says, so I will bless you as long as I live, I will lift up my hands in thy name, or I will, in your name, I will lift up my hands. So David's heart was always grateful and thankful because of the love of God the grace, the mercy, the loving kindness of God. Uh, David had a revelation of God's love and therefore David had a grateful heart. God loves you on your best day and on your worst day. God's love saves us, forgives us, protects us. It's intentional toward us to bless us, to help us, to protect us. See, we have a lot to be grateful for. And when you understand, just get a little glimpse of how much God loves you, it will make your heart grateful. It will change and, and it'll take a hard-hearted, ungrateful heart and make it soft and pliable and grateful just when you get a little glimpse of how much God loves you. So even in the middle of the coronavirus, God loves you. He loves you on your best day, your worst day. It doesn't change anything. God's always loving you. Verse five, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. The NLT says, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I'll praise you with songs of joy. So this is the component of satisfaction in our relationship with God. See, we look for satisfaction in food and drink and entertainment and achievement and wealth and successes and everything but God. And once a soul is drawn near to God, he finds that nothing can satisfy him other than God. You know, as long as there's this lie out there that something of the world can satisfy, then you'll chase it. But once you've tasted and touched, and you know, I'm, I've been young and now I'm older, and I'm telling you right now, there's nothing in the world that will satisfy other than God. I remember when I was a young businessman, and I had this goal in my mind that if I ever reached a certain number of a net worth, 
that I would be successful and secure and satisfied. So I worked really hard for several years trying to achieve this goal. And one day I realized that I had made that, that I was now worth this certain number. And uh, instead of being satisfied and happy and fulfilled, I was miserable. It was one of the worst days of my life because I realized it didn't satisfy. That no matter how much money I made, I couldn't feel secure, I couldn't feel satisfied, I didn't feel fulfilled at all. And it would, what I thought would have been a joyous day turned out to be a miserable day. And to contrast that, every time I have a new experience with God, a fresh touch with God, a new revelation, a new communion with God, it satisfies my soul so much that I realize I don't really want to chase anything else in life. Money won't do it. Relationships with people just won't do it. Your satisfaction is found in Christ Jesus. Everything you're looking for is found in him. And in verse six, this now it's with dealing with communion. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. NLT says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. So let me ask you, what do you, what do you think about when you lay down? Some people just go to sleep immediately. Other people are gonna lay there a bit. Are you thinking about the coronavirus? Are you thinking about the newscast? Are you, are you thinking about where's our money gonna come from? How's this economy not gonna collapse? Are you thinking about, man, you'd love to get out and see some people, but you're afraid to subject yourself to someone that may be sick? Are we worried about our kids? Are we worried about, anxious about just the cares of life? Or when we lay down at night, do we just think about God? Do we think on his name? Do we think how lovely he is and how beautiful he is? And just, just tell him, you know, that he's just and he's holy and he's righteous and he's true. The omnipresent, omniscious, omniscient, omnipotent God, you know, wants his personal relationship with you. Well, it all goes with you thinking on his name when, when you're on the laying down on your pillow. Malachi 3.16 says, Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. So uh, God actually has a special little book. When you, when you just stop to think on him, to think on his name, to think on his nature, he, he records that. And that's how you have the special communion with God. You'll get in a quiet place when no one's talking to you. I think that's why he's using the thought of laying down on your pillow or your bed at night. When no one else is talking to you, you, you need to be thinking on him. This is how you have uh, the special relationship with him that we all can enjoy. What is his nature? He's holy, he's just, he's righteous. He's loving, he's kind, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's, he's long-suffering toward us. He, he forgives us. I just start thinking about all the forgiveness that he's bestowed upon my life, and it just overwhelms me. I think about how good God is to me. You know, just think about his name. You can have communion with him. I know when you hear the word communion, you think about the table of the Lord's Supper. And, and that's so true and so needs to be prevalent in the forefront of our mind that the only way we can have communion with God the Father is through the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus Christ. 
But once you know Jesus and have him as your savior and you can have this intimacy with him, then he'll actually connect you to the Father. You'll be connected to the fullness of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse seven, this is our protection component. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. NLT reads it like this, because you're my helper, I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I love this shadow of your wings analogy. We had this last week in Psalms 91, the mother chicken would raise her wings up when the hawk was flying overhead and start clucking a special sound and all the little chicks would run up under her wings. And the other picture, of course, is the in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat, which was protected by the cherub wings. And that's where the very presence of God was, right there between the cherub wings. So when he says here, I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings, that means David was living in that secret place of the Most High, in the shadow of the Almighty. And that's where God wants us to live in our relationship with him, be so close to him that we're always aware of his presence. 100% of the time, we're aware of the presence of God, wherever we go, whatever we do, and we live there. Remember to hide in the secret place of God under the shadow of the Almighty. And then finally in verse eight, he says, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. NLT says, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. Wow, what a beautiful thought that we can cling on to God, that we can grab a hold of him and not let go. Uh, the word picture goes to the book of Ruth in my mind. Uh, Naomi was about to go back home to Bethlehem and she had these two daughter-in-laws who their, their husbands had died in Moab and she was trying to tell the daughter-in-laws that she was poor and she had nothing for them, no way to take care of them and she encouraged them to go back. So we pick this up, I think in verse 14, uh, and they lifted up their voice and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. This is the same word, Ruth clave unto her. Same word when David said, my soul clings to, to you, O God. So Ruth clave to her and she said, behold, thy sister-in-law is going back unto her people and her gods. Return after thy sister-in-law. So Orpah went back, but Ruth didn't want to go back. She wanted what Naomi had. And then these, these famous verses I love. So Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. And thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if all but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking unto her. So Ruth clave to Naomi and had a steadfast mind to go where Naomi went. She wanted to go back to Bethlehem, and she wanted to know Naomi's God. David said, I will cling to thee. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. There's no greater place on earth than to be clinging to God. And of course, we can only do this through a personal relationship with Jesus. But as you cling to Jesus, live in the cleft of the rock, 
Remember the rock of ages. The dove lived in the cleft of the rock. These are the wounds of Jesus Christ. We live there in humility and honesty and confession and repentance. And when we live there in our total need of all time to be covered by his grace, Jesus said in John 17, 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. The same kind of union Jesus had with the Father, he's saying that we can have that with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit, that we can be one with God by clinging to him. By He said he holds you in his hands. What, what safer place than that? Can you just imagine him holding you in the palm of his hand? The Bible says that no man can pluck you out of the Father's hands. Think of the safety. Think of the security there. Think of the protection and think of the union, our last component, the union with God as we cling to him. Let's draw near him today. You know, this coronavirus crisis, if nothing else, it's made me humble my heart. It's caused me to be more dependent upon God. I'm praying a lot more than I prayed prior. It's like I'm talking to him all day long. He's got to bail us out financially. He's the one that protects us from getting sick. So uh, we need him. And boy, do I ever know I need him right now. So it's a time for us all to draw near him. The famous verse when I think about drawing near to God is 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So his conditions there. He says, if my people, talking about his saints, which are called by my name, he tells us to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, then his part is he will hear from heaven, he will forgive our sin, and he will heal our land. So great promises there. I just encourage you to return, church. Let's humble ourselves before under the mighty hand of God. Let's draw nigh to God that he'll draw near to us. In closing, uh, I hate to mention money, but I just have to as your pastor. We need your tithes and offerings, and we depend upon your generous support. Return us some of the most generous people in the world, and we just want to say thank you for that. But we do have to pay our building note, and our, all our other bills go on there. So you can pay online, or you can mail a check to the church. But take this little announcement here as me passing our offering plate today and saying, uh, just remember, we do depend upon your generous report, generosity, your generous support in order to be able to pay our bills at Return Church. Today also I have a, a list here of people that are sick and afflicted. We have many needs in our church. And I'm just going to ask each of you, if you just take just a moment, if you're part of our congregation, to listen to this list. And I'm asking you to pray especially for these people. Anna Drury's daughter is sick and in need of prayer. Doris Zirkel is in need of prayer. Sister Murda's daughter and her whole family is in great need of prayer. Please pray for them. Carol and David Beatty, Grace Jean Beatty, and Julie Lau's niece is in the hospital. And I'm sure there's more that I know what I just listed there, but we woke up with these people on our minds, so we just want you to Encourage the whole church, if all of us right now together would pray for them, then I know God would do something special for their lives. 
One more thing, I'm about to show you two testimonies. Now we, we had our fifth anniversary service this past weekend, but we weren't able to get these two testimonies uh, spliced into the film. And I want to, I still want to show them to you because the whole purpose of this video church we're having now is to help us all feel connected. So here's two people you may not have gotten to meet or got to know very well at return yet. And uh, Scotty and Deborah. Uh, Deborah came to return through our outreach program in Portland. And Scotty was just in the neighborhood there praying for the Lord to lead him to a new church. He was looking for a new church and the Lord led him to return. So I'm hoping that these two testimonies will be a blessing to you and hopefully you'll get to know Scotty and Deborah better. And maybe we have some more testimonies down the road too. Love you very much. I appreciate you tuning in today. And uh, just know that we're praying for you and we hope to see you soon. God bless you. My name's De Deborah, and I am grateful to be recovering from addiction through the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. My life today is wonderful. Because of my Lord and Savior, I have peace beyond anything I've ever known. I have a purpose today. I stand in knowing that the Lord has chose me. I'm so grateful for that. I don't let a day go by that I don't state that, that I don't claim that, that I don't pronounce that because I have come a long way. Um, and you kind of would have to know where I've come from in order to understand just how great of a miracle I am. I have died numerous times from addiction. I have done unspeakable things. I have lost my family, my home, my career as a nurse. Um, pretty much, I lived in hell, living hell for more than a decade uh, because of my drug use and the Lord has delivered me from all of that. I have worth today, worth that I never thought I would have or that I would acknowledge. I guess I always had worth, but I didn't know that and I know that today. I know that I'm valuable and I'm valuable to Him. And part of that worth is that I have a story to tell that will give others hope and help others to know that it's possible because there is not any place that I haven't been with addiction. I have literally lost body parts <laughs> even through my poor choices. Um, and just my inability to even take care of myself. This started as um, just an abscess on my hand, and for two weeks I hid my hand because I just couldn't deal with reality, couldn't deal with anything, and that's what I was trying to escape was my reality. And that reality was trying to live in this world without Christ. So today, because of Jesus, 
I know that I'm worthy. I'm loved. I have a purpose. Whether I have enough money or I don't. Whether I have, you know, a car or a home or whatever comes or whatever goes. It doesn't change my center. And my center today is Christ Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that. Hello, Return Church family. I'm Scott Lawler and I'm a member of Return Church. Greetings to everyone. I wish we all could be together, but we're not. First of all, giving honor and praise to our God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord of all of us. Second of all, I just want to give prayers and, and thanks and blessings to our pastor, Bill Hudson, and his wife, Liz. I'm just so grateful and happy to be a part of Return and to do whatever it is that the pastor would ask me to do to praise his holy name. First of all, I just would like to say that I was raised here in the area right behind over there, right around where National Avenue is, and I'm grateful to be here. I was brought up in church. Both of my grandfathers have been ministers and to, brought up to know who Jesus was, brought up as a missionary Baptist church. And I've, I've always known who Jesus was and was always trying to build a relationship with Jesus. I left at an age of 18. I traveled around through the military, joined the United States Navy, and I am a uh, honorable, I got an honorable discharge when I finished the Navy. With that, I got into involved with drugs and alcohol as well. I landed back here 2006 living, basically homeless, because I was living with my mother and my mother and my father. So I come from a program that tells you that if you don't have a mortgage or a lease in your name, you're homeless. I was living out on their couch. I was caught up in a lot of DUIs. I, I could not be trusted. I was unemployable. And if I was working, I tell you, I would be stealing from you some kind of way. It was only through the grace and care of a loving God that I was able to come out of that darkness. I've been sober 14 years in another fellowship, in a program that was able to save my life. And that program led me to a new life that I found here at Return Church. I didn't know about Return. I didn't know about where Pastor Bill and the rest of all you lovely Return people had come from. I would go to meetings here at 10 o'clock on Friday nights. And one day I was pumping my gas at the gas pump and I would already, I'd already been going to a church. And when I got out of the relationship that I was in, I was asked to find another church and I tried other churches, but I was pumping gas at the gas station, going to that 10 o'clock meeting that they have down in the basement at 10 o'clock here on Friday nights. I looked over, I looked over at the shady motel over there. Thank God that that, that motel was gone, or hotel. I'm glad those people found the place because there was a lot of stuff going on over there. And I said, why don't I give that church a try? It said, return to what really matters. I came into the church, and for the first time I came into the church, I was warmly received through the blessings. It is so grateful and honorable, and so honorable to be with a pastor who reads out of the Bible, who tells you about the Bible, who doesn't candy coat anything, tells you about our mission and what we stand for and what we don't stand for. You know, I am so grateful. And these times that we have to be somewhat, it was just so poignant of the, what he sent out just this past Wednesday, talking about what the Bible said about lepers. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so excited for the year to come, so excited for us all to get, get back down to what, we, what really matters. I thought that my perception of God and where I was raised, there was nothing wrong for it, but it didn't work for me as I came back to return, to return to what really matters. 
I want to be married to the Lord. And it's only through this place and the people around that have shown me love, kind, and concern. I brought all my kids here. I brought my lovely fiance, Cherish here. We both here as well. We want to get married in this church. We want to grow with the church. We want to do everything. God is alive and well. No matter what comes down the pipe, he is there for us. I come from a saying of, you know, if you worry, why pray? If you pray, why worry? I choose to pray and honor our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm just so grateful to be here. I'm excited to be here. And I'm just so excited about the new pastor that's coming on, on board. He, You have my vote. And I'm so grateful of that the new direction that we're leading. And thank you, Pastor Bill Hudson and his wife, Alice. And we love you guys. We love the Red Church family. And we're just waiting for Easter to get here so we can all get back together and praise and honor our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you very much.
Your